0: Welcome, adventurers. So we come to the beginning of our third tale, though they all belong to a larger story. Close your eyes and imagine a hot morning and a street beginning to fill with many that would start their day's business. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents Tales from the dungeon. Karia sipped her strong black tea. The caffeine's warm embrace passed through her body, starting in her belly and then radiating into her limbs and face. As she drank, she surreptitiously observed the streets and old square of the bazaar as they began to fill with residents and travelers alike. Sol had just begun to peek over the roofs of the surrounding homes. Though it was only two bells past sunrise, the air was warm and sticky. It would be unbearable by midday. The bazaar would be a frenzy of activity for the next two bells and dwindle to nothing in a bell or less after that as the citizens of Ardisport retreated to their thick-walled homes to wait out the heat of the day. Caria considered the square, judging the amount of foot traffic, and deemed it to be sufficient. So often people assumed that passing unseen required the dark of night, and swathing oneself in the blacks and grays of shadow. Though this sentiment did hold some truth, and there was a time and place for all things, a professional knew that the best place to go unnoticed was in the ebb and flow of a city's normal rhythms. A traveler stopping in for a morning tea at the bazaar's most popular street cafe was not only of little interest, but expected by the eyes and minds of all of the city's residents. Garbed in the loose-fitting clothes of a desert traveler, no one would notice Karia as she made her way from the cafe into the narrow and crooked streets of the old town district. This was to Caria's liking. If all went well, no one would know she had been in the city at all. In her trade, it was best not to be known to any other than those that paid for her services. Relatively few knew the name Karia, but those who did knew it meant for the right price. Difficult to procure items would be theirs. Karia finished her tea, turning the cup upside down on the saucer in the local fashion, stood and drew the tail of her head wrapping across her nose and mouth, leaving only her piercing brown eyes exposed to the day's rising heat. She had not heard from Esmeray in almost five years, but this was of no concern to her. If the gold was good, Esmeray would get whatever it was she sought. The pace of Karia's soft footfalls began to slow. The narrow road between houses on which she walked followed an irregular curve, obscuring her line of sight some thirty-five paces ahead. Karia knew if she turned to look back, it would be the same behind her. Seeing her destination just ahead, she reduced her pace even further to a slow, silent walk. Karia unwrapped her headscarf until her ears were uncovered. She calmly held her breath, focusing on the sounds of her immediate surroundings. The thrum of the city registered as a white noise, but no sound of footsteps could be heard on the cobblestone street ahead or behind. An unhurried step brought her between two crates pushed against a wall to the right. She turned her head to the left and paused to look and listen. To the right, to do the same, then knelt between the crates facing the wall. Karia unbuttoned her loose overcoat, drew a dagger from underneath her arm, and rolled through the wall. Passing through the illusion, she came to rest in a three-point stance, in the middle of what amounted to little more than a small alcove. Whitewashed walls rose to the roof lines on her right, left, and before her. On the wall she faced, carved from a rough gray stone, was mounted a fountain. Water trickled from the mouth of a fanged serpent, carved from the same gray stone, into the fountain's basin below. Carius stood, sheathed her dagger, and stepped up to the fountain. She took hold of an old beaten copper cup that hung from the fountain's side on a rotting string. Holding it out, the cup was filled by the cold, dark water that issued from the serpent's mouth. When the cup was near full, she drew it out of the flow. Next, she reached up her free hand, extending her pointer finger to the left fang of the carved beast. It took but the slightest of touches to prick her finger. A surge of heat, then chills passed through her. Karya dripped a drop of blood into the cup, then stirred it with the same finger. Karya tipped the cup to her lips and drank half of the water within. She then poured the remaining half into the basin. From the bottom, a vague, pulsing purple light began to illuminate the water. As she quietly placed the cup back into its original hanging position, she thought, What's wrong with the door knocker? Karya exhaled and knelt before the basin. She hated this part. Leaning forward, she submerged her face. Fighting instinct, she opened her mouth and inhaled. Reality twisted, and for a moment, it felt as though she was being turned inside out. <coughs> it took one violent cough and a gasping inhale before her body realized it was taking an air and not water. As Karia's disorientation passed, a fountain came into focus before her. This fountain was round and sat in the middle of a tiled floor. It was carved of the same gray stone as the previous fountain, and at its center, water dribbled from the mouth of an identical serpent. Dull pulses of purple light coming from the fountain's water dwindled, and then ceased. Karia took a second to regain her composure, making a study of her surroundings. She had been here three times before and little had changed. She stood near the center of an entry room, which she knew to be at the base of a tower. This room, as all the floors above, were hexagonal. Small slitted windows covered with thick, dark curtains let in filtered daylight, and though the bright morning light of soul burned outside, inside the light was dim and shadowed. On two of the six walls were large and ornately carved wooden doors, barred from the inside. Carya knew that besides the bars, the doors were also trapped and warded, and she doubted any had entered through either door, since Esmeray had taken up residence. She also knew that if she was able to pass through either of those doors, she would step out into the Rose Garden District, some two miles from the alcove in the old town where she had been but a moment before. Esmeray preferred privacy and went to extreme means to ensure it. The only difference Karya noted in the entry room was a thick layer of dust that covered the floor in benches that sat adjacent to the entry doors. When Karia had been here in times past, the room had been meticulously clean. She filed this information away in her mind and headed to the stairs on the south wall to begin her climb to the fifth floor. As Karia passed from floor to floor, she had to cross each room in turn to reach the next flight of stairs. On the second floor, she passed from the south wall to the north on the third from the north to the west, on the fourth from west to east. As she made her progression through each floor, an unease set in. The second floor, which had once been a well-furnished living area, was now covered in dust and spider webs; cloth draped over much of the furniture. The third floor had been an atrium with large windows and the most exotic collection of plants that she had ever seen. All but two windows were now boarded over, and those two were covered with thick curtains. Pots with shriveled brown vines or nothing at all covered shelves and pedestals scattered throughout the room, a few toppled and broken. A laboratory that had been the fourth floor in visits past was in a similar state of disarray and neglect as the two floors below, though in one small corner of the room a small burner heated a series of tubes and beakers, through which a foul-smelling liquid passed turning from a greenish color to a near-black purple as it made its way through the contraption. In the six shadowy corners of the room near the roof, gargoyles sat on stone platforms. As Karia passed through the room, she imagined their stone eyes following her progress. Karia crested the stairs at the Fifth Floor, Esmeray's library and office, and stopped. The room was almost completely dark, The dimmest of lights passed into the room through one curtained window. Karia could hear a shallow, rasping breath, but she waited, giving her eyes time to adjust as well as they could. As she waited, the near silence was broken by a throaty cackle. A pause, and then candles flared to light somewhere in the middle of the room, the sudden burst of light temporarily blinding Karia. Partially covering her eyes with one hand, she took two quick steps back down the stairs, her other hand shooting to her dagger. The cackle returned, turning into a sickly laugh. Are you coming in? Came a voice that Karya barely recognized. Again she waited, slowly lowering the hand that covered her eyes as they adjusted to the candlelight. Her other hand remained on the dagger as she retraced the final two steps and stepped just inside the room. This room, unlike all the others, seemed to be in good repair. The walls were covered from floor to ceiling with bookshelves. Even the wall across the room where the stairs traveled to the sixth floor had angled shelves beneath them, going from small to large as the stairs ascended. Caria assumed the sixth floor would have been Esmeray's sleeping chamber, though she had never been past this floor. A few chairs and tables were scattered throughout the room, though nearly all the flat surfaces, including much of the floor, were covered in books and scrolls. In the center of the room sat a massive wooden desk made of some dark wood that was polished to a near-black shine. The four corners had large posts, carved in great detail with scenes of angels battling demons. The posts extended from three or four hands above the desktop down to the carpeted floor. On each sat a large red candle. The candles flickered and sputtered, wax dripping down their sides. Sitting behind the desk in a slouch position was something that Karia's mind was having a difficult time reconciling. Though she wasn't sure, Karia had assumed Esmeray to be in her fifties upon their last meeting. Five years ago, Esmeray stood tall and proud, taller even than Karia herself. She had smooth ebony skin, thick curly black hair that she kept in tight braids, Adorned with bone beads in the tradition of the Asua, and green eyes that stood out against her dark complexion like two perfectly cut emeralds, she wore finely kept robes of blues and blacks that had fine and detailed embroidery around the hems and collar. That was not who sat in front of her now. I wonder what Coria has seen. Join me next week for the conclusion of A Deal Sealed in Blood.